Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, I'm joined by Hayden Wright. Hayden, thank you for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm so happy to be here tonight. I'm really excited to talk to you and tell you about the strike and the work the auxiliary is doing. Thank you so much for being here. I've been trying to you know, coordinate uh, this particular conversation for a few months now. So it, it's pretty you know, like awesome for me to finally get you on here to talk about this. This is an issue that I've been following since I came across it from another news show that I watched called Breaking Points, uh, when they talked about your strike and how this has been going on. So I definitely want to like get right into that. Uh, what was the reason that the strike first started? These, these coal miners like down in your state of Alabama, why, was, why did they first originally go on strike and what were they asking for from the company Warrior Met? Okay, so we actually went on strike on April 1st of 2021. So we have been on strike over a year now. And we went out on an unfair labor practices strike. In 2016, what was Walter Energy filed for bankruptcy? They rebranded themselves as Warrior Met Coal. We have the same CEO, COO, all of your big wig people are still the same. So they were given free and clear out of bankruptcy. So basically the union was given a contract and told either we'll go non-union and fire all of you or you take all of these massive concessions. At the same time, they also didn't have to pay their retirees pensions. So like my father who worked there for over 30 years, the bankruptcy judge said, they don't have to pay you for that. They don't have to pay your pension. The UMWA had to fight for over a year to get pensions restored for those workers. And with the work the UMWA it actually benefited all workers that made it to where companies can't do that anymore. So that was a big thing. But some of the concessions that we took were a $6 an hour cut in pay, which is huge. But on top of that, we went from having 100% insurance coverage for our families. And I know that 100% insurance is almost unheard of, but we have to think that this is an extremely dangerous job. It takes a huge toll on your body. You're working miles and miles underground black lung, different diseases, body breakdown from strenuous labor. That could be expected in this type of industry. And that's what a lot of other mines, union mines offer. We lost that. It went down to an 80-20 plan. So it had a $720 deductible per family member. So on top of a $600 pay cut, then you had that extra cost for medical. Um, we went from having several holidays off with our families where we only had three physical holidays. We had Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve, and Christmas Day. If your spouse worked our shift, you didn't even have that full day because they had to report to work at 11 o'clock that night. Right. So sometime during that day, they had to sleep to be able to go into work. Um, another thing that had led to the strike and why so many of us said that we'd had enough was they had a really strict three strikes in your fired policy. They didn't take doctor's excuses at all. So if you missed work on three occasions within that year, you were terminated. 
That means your spouse was miscarrying and you had left work that would give you a stroke. Your spouse went into labor and you needed to leave, you had received a stroke. Your spouse was in the hospital. You yourself was hospitalized, but you couldn't give 24 hour notice that you were in the hospital. You could be given a stroke. We had guys given strikes that made it to work, but were late because they had had blowouts, wrecks, hit a deer, accidents, trying to rush to get there. They were still required to work their shift, but they were still penalized by giving a strike. So what that did is it left your families and especially those of us at home, if something happened with one of our kids and they were in the hospital, if we were put into the hospital, if something was going on at home, most of the time we didn't even call them because we knew that it meant they could lose their job if they yeah. chose to be with their family. And that's a huge amount of pressure and strain to put on a family. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the things that you're describing right now, you know, I'm going to not choose my words carefully. It's kind of barbaric what I'm hearing. You know, I, it, it doesn't even make sense that you could, you know, kind of penalize people for not being able to give 24 hour notice if they go to the hospital. So, I also remember talking to you about this previously. You had mentioned that one of the goals for the strike was not to really kind of like get better benefits, but just to restore the benefits and the pay that you had in just in 2016. Uh, is that you know that is, is that still true? And also, can you talk to us about how they increased the like the workload requirements even like afterwards? Um, yeah, so all we're fighting for is to get back to what we had lost there at the bankruptcy. So we're not even factoring in inflation that should be at up to 6% a year from that contract signing. And what's insulting is, is at the tentative agreement, you know, that was almost overwhelmingly rejected. It was like 97% voted no. They offered a dollar and 50 cents raise over the course of the contract. That's what they offered back to workers and a $500 signing bonus. They still kept insurance 80-20. They did raise the deductible, I think it was up to $680 instead of 720. I mean, it was a minuscule thing for insurance. So it was really a slap in the face to hear that presented that that's what the company thought that they were worth after these guys pulled them out of bankruptcy by working skeleton crews. Just within like my husband, who works at number five prep plant, which is local 2368. They had a reduction after the bankruptcy of less, they had less than half of the amount of people. So every individual was doing the work now that would have been between two or three people. They were working 12 hour shifts every day. That was their normal shifts. Underground to where you had a crew that would used to have 30 people. It would have 15 to 18 people. Right. So now you have had people working six to seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day in extremely dangerous conditions, while also having to manage the workload of what would have been the job of two people. Yeah, that, that so, is, that's inconceivable to me that, you know, that you could increase workload, decrease pay, and then kind of basically just like slap your workers in the face like that and, and expect nothing to happen. Uh, but, you know, I, I want to get to why I think, you know, companies feel unable to do that here in a moment. But before we do that, you know, I think sometimes when people hear about the idea of coal mining, maybe in other parts of the country, I'm thinking more of like coastal regions, you know, we are constantly talking about things like climate change, you know, over and over again, especially in these parts of the country. And so people might not have the same level of, 
sympathy for a coal miner, which I think is, you know, egregious because, you know, all workers deserve respect. But, you know, could you just speak to specifically what type of coal that the miners are working with specifically and how it's different from, I guess, what people would normally think of when they think about coal? Yeah, so typically when people think about coal, they're thinking about thermal coal, which is used to produce energy. We don't mine any thermal coal here in Alabama. That's not what we mine. We mine metallurgical coal. It's completely different. The burning temperature is actually much, much higher. It can't be used for energy. Um, it's actually used to produce quality coke that you need to make quality steel. So anything that you need for infrastructure that involves steel making, you have to have that product. So it's two completely separate types of coal and two different issues. But I completely agree with you when you're talking about worker solidarity, that's all workers in all industries. Yes. We can help the situations that people are in and what jobs are available in their area. The workers don't control that. So no matter what, the workers should be supported. Right. It, you know what? Support is actually the perfect you know segue that I want to go to now because that is one of the things that I'm wondering about when I'm hearing about this company taking advantage of the situation, you know, basically bullying their workforce into submission, you know, my words, not yours. Uh, you would, I would hope that politicians in your states would be sh showing up to lend some support, if not outright, you know, trying to get involved in this negotiation process. Have there been politicians in Alabama who have stepped up to back your, your negotiations at all? Um, there's been very few. Um, we've had a few Democratic politicians come at the state level and then, you know, at the national level that have shown some support. Like Representative England, he's come to some rallies and shown support. The Democratic Party in Alabama has. Um, Birmingham DSA has been very supportive, done fundraisers. Um, as far as the Republican Party, it's been crickets. Um, Kay Ivey is allowing state troopers to escort scabs into work. Um, she's allowing off-duty state troopers to police the mines, to work as private security. That's allowing union members to be struck by vehicles, allowing these things to happen on the picket lines. Um, we actually had members go to Montgomery outside of the Capitol and ask her to come out and tell her why taxpayer money was being used in a company dispute. And right. while she was supporting workers, that she was supporting hedge funds, and private equity groups that are sending millions of dollars out of state that is not supporting our local economy. So why are you allowing this to happen? She refused to make a comment and she still has not made a comment. Oh my God. Yeah, having the police force be used as a, as a private security detail seems like an egregious you know, use of state power, but I will uh, save that conversation for a different day. I, I would, let me transition a little bit here. Is the news covering this at all? Like are, are local... TV stations, newspaper outlets, is anyone really kind of like giving it a voice to, to this movement down there? Um, no, at the beginning of the strike, we really, really pushed uh, myself and a few others. Um, we had Agachi Valoka come out, which um, she did some coverage the day of the tentative agreement. So we're talking about back in April, 2021. Right. Um, talking about the strike since then, it's been pretty much crickets. Unless the company puts out some type of propaganda video to try to smear the union or smear us as being violent. What they don't include in that is you manage to get 30 seconds of video clips that are edited together that don't show that you're running over our people first. Right. Number one, 
one. And number two, you don't show what happened after it. And that's pretty much what our local media has done. They haven't really given us a voice at all. They've shown up for a couple of rallies, but most of the time it's a 10 second mention and they move on. That, that is just um, completely unbelievable as far as I'm concerned. You know, the, the people of that state deserve better, like your workers deserve better. Uh, you know, I thank you again for coming on and talking to me about this today. You know, there are a few other questions I want to ask you, especially about like the protest in front of BlackRock and, you know, like what exactly the toll this has been taking on the workers itself. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have more with Hayden Wright. Please stay tuned. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. We have now been joined by a second guest, uh, Braxton. Braxton Wright, how are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. So Braxton, you are actually one of the miners in particular that we've been referencing throughout this entire episode so far. Could you just, I wanna ask you a question, particularly now that we, uh, now that we have you here. What exactly has been the, the toll that this has been taking on the miners in particular over the course of the past year, like dealing with all of the stress of dealing with the strike and negotiations, so on and so forth? It's been really tough. I mean, uh, a lot of it seems to be more emotional than, you know, actually, you know, financial or, you know, because a lot of us has picked up, you know, other jobs or part-time jobs. And then we, we have our strike, you know, benefits. So, uh, but a lot of it's just emotional, you know, for a company that we've worked hard for, for, you know, I've been there 17 years yeah, and I, I'm still a new guy for some of the locations, you know, some of the guys have still been there 20, you know, 30 years, but uh, a lot of it's just been, you know, emotional. I mean, uh, 
just the lack of respect for us as workers and as just humans is just, you know, it's really a shame that a company would stoop to the levels that they have during the strike and just regard us, you know, as what created all their profit for the last five years. And just for them to say, you know, they don't care. You're not worth what you were being paid. And then they bring in scabs and pay them more than what they were paying us. So, I mean, it's just, it's been a, an emotional, a financial, stressful roller coaster. And, uh, you know, while I was on strike, you know, I went to work with Amazon, you know, here in uh, Birmingham trying to yeah. help them. And so that, that part was a little stressful too. And, uh, it's, I've learned a lot over the last year. Uh, I think my mindset has changed on a lot of different things. I've learned, uh, more who our friends and uh, supporters are. So right. a lot of people has kind of opened their eyes to see, you know, where the support comes from. So uh, some good has come out of it, even though it's been, you know, tough. That, you know, just been on strikes tough and been on strike for over a year, you know, it's even harder. But uh, we're set up now to we're, we're going to be in it until we win it. I mean, there, there ain't no giving up now. You know, we've stuck it out this long. We can stick it out another year if they want to. I mean, you know, we can fight them. We can fight them longer. They can. They can handle it. You know that that's a that's a great segue into the next question I have for you. I, I want to ask another question directly to you, Braxton. Here, I when people hear about these kind of disputes between you know workers and companies, you know, I, I think the the phrase that's been thrown out for years now is like, oh, if you're having an issue with your job, why don't you quit? And, and I've heard a lot of different people give their variation of, you know, an answer to that question. But I want to ask you specifically, why has it been so important for you to continue to try to push for a better contract versus finding a different job? Yeah, there's nothing that makes me madder than somebody to say, why don't you just quit and find another job? You know, right. but, you know, the coal mining is, uh, you know, we're, we are a union coal mine, but just the coal miners itself is a brotherhood. You know, and then you throw in the union brotherhood, you know, the aspect of it. And we're even that stronger of a, a knit group. But it's kind of, most of us, it's generational work. You know, I'm a, I guess you could say third generation coal miner. My grandfather died from an accident from the coal mines. My dad went to work in the coal mines at like 17, which he didn't work for a couple of years before he realized it wasn't for him. Right. You know, once I got there, uh, it was just once it was in your blood, it's just in your blood. I mean, it's, it's a job you enjoy doing. I mean, you enjoy, you know, seeing a, a, a raw product turn into a, you know, a usable product. So, I mean, it's a lot of challenges. It's not the, the same process every day. Yeah. I mean, and around here, it's, it's hard to find, you know, decent jobs. So. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to the negotiations with Warrior Met, with BlackRock, I heard that you had a protest in front of BlackRock uh, last year. Have there been any, like, good faith negotiations on their part, like, in the few times that you have spoken with them? With BlackRock? Or... BlackRock, BlackRock or Warrior Met, have there been any kind of, like, good faith negotiations in the past year at all? Oh, <laughs> I say over the last like maybe two months has been better than the the year before. Yeah, sorry about that. She's a <laughs> but uh say so the last two months or so has been uh we probably had longer talks in the last two months than the first year combined. Yeah. So I say uh, there has been some movement. Uh, they're still wanting to 
they've got a list of people they don't want to hire back because of hurt feelings or, you know, they think they've done something wrong to, to the company and they're still trying to fight for the scabs to keep the scabs employed. So, I mean, we're, we're still fighting them. It's, it's not over. Uh, uh, but there, there has been some movement, just not enough. Okay. No, I can appreciate that. Uh, you know, Hayden, you know, you were talking to me before about the, about the strike fund. About like how it's been helping the families who have been going through this and how it's been able to kind of keep this going throughout the last year. Could you just tell me a little bit more about how that got started and what exactly the impact has been as far as how it's been able to help people? Yes. So there's actually two ways that people can donate. The first one is the strike aid fund that was set up through international. And what that fund does is it gives $200 checks once it reaches the amounts where those can be cut. So that's huge to help with utilities and those type of things while on strike. But then with the auxiliary, about a month into the strike, we had our first kind of meeting and we were like, look, we want to do something. And some other people had started kind of going to grass clown and thinking things were like, but we have 900 people on strike plus their families. So, yes. So we have 900 members on strike and then plus their entire family. Because when you're on strike, it's not just the individual on strike. The family is on strike. Right. My kids have spent the last year of their life at least two days a week or more at the union hall, at a strike rally, on the picket line. They're very much involved with the strike. And I think that's one thing people don't realize that there's so much more that goes on besides just picketing when people are on strike. And so what the auxiliary did, several of us got together, like myself, Connie, Cherry, were some of the first ones at the original meeting. So we got together and we were like, we want to form an auxiliary. Um, Local 2397 actually had an established auxiliary, but it was retirees. It's retired female miners and male miners. So it wasn't necessarily younger people that were actually striking. But we worked with them. So we both auxiliaries worked together, but we set up this PayPal. And honestly, when I set it up and I got with Larry Spencer and we talked about what we could do, we were just hoping maybe we could get enough to help families for a week or two with groceries. Right. And now we're over a year out and we've been able to provide groceries, baby formula, diapers, baby wipes, hygiene products to families every single week that's huge right and on top of that we actually feed every single person that comes to any of our rallies so we rally every wednesday night we actually feed them a meal so we actually don't just come together and rally and go home we actually share a meal together okay so i think that that's important that we have that family element that we're not just feeding kind of our spirit and our solidarity, but we're also feeding people. So they at least have that meal when they come to us and we serve it to them to let them know that we appreciate what they're doing and what they have been doing for the past year for themselves and for our families. Yeah. And it's actually yeah grown. Now we have clothing there available for families because we have several with newborn babies and with the formula shortage right now, we have been panicking a little bit because we know that's a huge need and now we're struggling to be able to fill it. Right. And while you're on strike, you don't have 
money to get on eBay and get into a bidding war and pay $70 for a can of baby formula that your child needs to survive. Right. I mean, that's crazy that it's come to that, but that's what it is right now. So we do all of those things as well. We did a back to school bash. Tori gave all of our union children backpacks and school supplies. We did the big solidarity Santa event to where families were given Christmas gifts. And we did a big event where we all came together and ate and sang Christmas carols and made Christmas ornaments. So when we say that we're a family, that's what we try to embody that we are our community and we're going to lift up and support each other and not just within our union, but we've been there every time our WDSU needed us. We showed up for them. Now with Starbucks organizing, we showed up for their sip in. Yeah. That's what people need to understand. Your union family is not just your local. It's not just your district. When you join a union, you're gaining 6 million brothers and sisters that are ready to fight for you. You know, that's, I, I think you might've just uh, stolen my last question from me, but I'm just going to ask it again anyway. Uh, if, if you, you know, had a chance, I guess, to speak with, you know, uh, Warrior Meta or BlackRock, I guess, directly today, like what would your, what would your message to them be as far as, you know, I guess, yeah, let's just keep it that same. What would your message be to them? They need to understand that workers are who control production. Without labor, there would be no company. It's the laborers, the workers that pulled them out of bankruptcy while the executives sat in their office. It was the executives that made the poor business decisions that caused that bankruptcy to begin with. So we're not going to sit back and be exploited anymore. And no worker should sit back and be exploited by a company making millions off their backs. So we're done with that. We're done with breaking our bodies, breaking our families apart to make them millions unless we're being compensated fairly for that labor we're producing. Well said, well said. Thank you so much for coming on to the show today and telling us about what's going on with the strike. Where can people um, find you online to learn more about uh, you and the strike and the strike fund? Uh, where can we find you at? Um, so you can find me on Twitter. I post pretty regularly about the strike and things going on. It's just at Hayden Rott on Twitter. You can follow at Mine Workers on Twitter for the UMWA's updates on the strike and what's happening within the union. And there's been several, like you are doing, several other journalists, independent journalists that have been covering the strike because we've been abandoned by mainstream media. It doesn't fit their agenda because when you're looking at unions, you're looking at breaking down division. Right. Within the union, you're equal. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your religion, your ethnicity, your political views. You become a brother or sister. And for a lot of people, that's scary. Because when we start seeing each other that way, we can really take control and power back from the people who don't want us to have that power. So I think it's really important to get out there, follow a lot of these independent journalists that are actually putting out real news, real media, and following real working class issues. Because you might be surprised to see there's people just like you that aren't just fighting for themselves, they're fighting for better for all of us. Love it. Hayden Wright, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I hope that everyone who's listened goes into the episode description right now. The links that she just referenced will be in the episode description. So go check those out now and please go follow more about this story. 
uh, post about it online, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, wherever you spend your time on social media. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show again today, Hayden, and we will see you all in the next episode of Independent Thought. Thank you. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. First and foremost, I want to thank my guests, Hayden Wright and Braxton Wright, for coming on to the podcast today to talk about the strike, the conditions that the workers have been dealing with, just really coming on it and kind of like breaking down exactly, you know, like what led up to this, you know, why they're fighting for what they're fighting for, so on and so forth. This is a story that's been very inspiring to me as I've been following it over the last like year plus when I first was introduced to it. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but you know, I wanted to highlight this story. And for those of you who've been following my podcast, you can see me highlight stories like this, uh, particularly, you know, talking about different worker led either strikes or organization efforts, unionization efforts, just over the last like year plus it has become increasingly, you know, just obvious to me that the best thing that we can do right now is stand together and try to empower each other and lift each other, lift each other up as we are facing this time of overwhelming power by corporations in our country. I was hoping that politicians might step up and help us. It does not seem as if they either are interested or have the, the necessary incentives in order to help us in any way, shape or form that is a meaningful way. So whenever I hear stories like this, people banding together, uh, standing up to a company, you know, demanding better rights, demanding better pay, demanding just, you know, more dignity. These are the stories that I want to continuously bring to everyone else. Uh, now going forward into the future. These are the stories that inspire me. I hope they inspire you as well. I want to give a shout out to I mentioned this on the podcast briefly, but to breaking points in particular, uh, Crystal Ball, Sagar, and Jetty, they they were on Rising during April of last year. They first brought this story to my attention. Uh, then they went and made their own show independently called Breaking Points. I, I saw um, Kim Kelly come on to the show, and I heard her give an update on uh, the, the coal miners and what they were going through. And then Hayden herself came on breaking points around Christmas time. So I, I've been trying to keep up with what's been going on over the last like year plus. Uh, but I just want to tell everyone, you know, where I got my information from originally, I highly recommend uh, Crystal and Saga go check out their show. I'll have some links in the episode description. Uh, make sure you check those out. As far as what's next for the podcast is concerned, we will be having uh, we'll, we'll be having quite a, uh, an array of guests coming on this season. So if you're liking the new format, uh, please let me know how you feel about it between the solo episodes, the guest segments, the news of the weeks. Uh, let me know how you feel about this format because I'm, I'm definitely open to some feedback from how we've changed it from last season. And lastly, before we get out of here, I just want to say that um, you know there will be a couple more episodes that are going to drop in a row. I usually will have them spaced out a couple of days, but fell a little behind this week. So we got to catch up to kind of get back on track. So if you liked this episode, please subscribe. If you are not already, if you are interested or capable and you want to know how you can support the show, 
There is a link to our Patreon down in the episode description. If you were able to contribute, that'd be fantastic. It really helps, you know, with what we're trying to put together here. And for what I want to put together in the future, all that's made possible from people contributing to the Patreon. So thank you for those who already have. And if you are interested, the link is in the description. If you liked this episode, uh, please go ahead and share it on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, tag independent thought. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.